0: Hi, thanks for listening to our sermon podcast, Second on the Mount. I'm George Anderson, minister at Second Presbyterian in Roanoke, Virginia. I do not take it for granted that people sit in the pews on Sunday morning or listen to these podcasts hoping to hear something that connects them to God, to each other, to the world. And so I spend hours seeking the right word for the right time and said in the right way. I welcome your feedback. I encourage your sharing this sermon with anyone it might benefit. I hope you'll return to this podcast again or come visit us for worship. We'd be happy to have you. Let us pray. Holy God, it is your voice we would like to hear. Speak to us through the words of Scripture that we might hear what we need to hear to be who you need us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our scripture lesson comes from the first chapter of John, beginning with verse 39. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand, and lifted her up, and then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases, and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a lonely place. And there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go to the neighboring town, so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. The word of the Lord. Not alone, but lonely. I wanna talk about that and I'll begin with a couple of reflector tape illustrations. Illustrations that reflect so brightly you can't miss the point. Consider the first semester freshman blues. I'm not talking about the experience of those who study online or commute from home or those unicorns who leave for college without looking back, so happy are they for their new adventure. I am talking about the experience of most freshmen their first semester sleeping in a dorm rather than their bedroom, which if they're lucky is waiting for them for their vacations and hasn't been turned into a home study. Surrounded by hundreds, sometimes thousands of people their age, attending required classes with hundreds of students, They are not alone. Yet, not knowing how to connect with or how to do it with others, of feeling like a stranger in a crowd, an imposter in a club, most have bouts of severe loneliness. Not alone, but lonely. Another reflector tape example Social media. Those who spend hours a day on social media can be part of an online community of thousands, even as they isolate themselves from loved ones nearby. And the way they connect with others online can make them feel more isolated still. Pictures of meals they do not taste, vacations that they are not on, seeing friends, having fun with friends, and feeling left out. And what about their 763 Facebook friends anyway? How many of them do they really know? Do they remember why some of them were friended? I think these two reflector-type illustrations magnify a truth about the human condition. Because none of us really are alone. We're surrounded by people all the time. But to some extent, we all at times feel lonely. I am talking about loneliness in a very specific way, not simply as an emotion and not simply as something negative. I'm talking about it as a sense of isolation as opposed to being around other people. I'm speaking of loneliness as feeling isolated, and that's not always a bad feeling. In fact, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get there. But I think we should start with loneliness as something that can be a problem that we try to overcome. We all want to be known and understood by others, maybe even loved. Loneliness as isolation is something we often want to overcome, but which we cannot really finally escape because there are places that are inside of us that no one will ever be able to reach or fully understand. And efforts to overcome that sense of isolation can lead to some really bad decisions, some sacrifices of the best of who we are called to be. Consider some well-known characters in the Gospels as examples of people who find themselves lonely, even though they are not alone. Consider Judas. Think of Judas at the Last Supper. When Jesus speaks to the disciples gathered around the table, he speaks of the meal as one of connection, of community, not of isolation. They're to take and eat, they're to share the. Bread of the body of Christ so that they can become the body of Christ in the world. They are to share the cup of what Jesus calls is his blood because they are to share their sacrificial love, sacrificially loved others as they have been sacrificially loved. Jesus tells them to share this meal. He tells them to repeat this meal, to repeat his words because he wants a forgiving, reconciling community to carry on his movement of grace in the world. And Judas is at that meal, so he's not alone. He is at that table along with the other disciples. He has been with them almost since the day that Jesus was baptized by John. But the deal has been struck. He's going to betray Jesus with an intimate gesture of connection, a kiss. Judas knows what he has done. And that is his loneliness. Now, there have been countless sermons preached on why Judas does what he does, but there's at least one reason that no one can deny. He took 30 pieces of silver as payment. Looking for a material solution to a spiritual void is the classic pretext of some of the worst decisions we can make. Now, consider Pilate. When Jesus stands before him in his palace, He has the power of Rome behind him. He has his wife to advise him. He has soldiers to protect him. And look at Jesus. He can't be a threat, all bloody and worked over by soldiers who did their job with delight. And outside his window, outside the window of his palace, is a mob calling for Jesus to be crucified. Pilate is far from being alone. But that the mob is outside is why Pilate is lonely in this moment. You see, he knows that Jesus is innocent. While other times Pilate might feel confident doing exactly what he wants, in this moment, he is like other leaders who are intimidated by the people they lead. It's a lonely moment when you can't speak your truth, when the mob calls it a lie, when you can't do what is right because the mob celebrates the wrong. Pilate is a governor. But he needs to keep the mob on his side to govern. Pilate and Judas, boy, those are reflector tape illustrations too. Illustrations of bad outcomes of isolation. But loneliness doesn't have to always be bad. It can be the catalyst for growth and healing too. Consider Nicodemus. Nicodemus has his people. He has his tribe. He's a Pharisee. Pharisees are joined in the common cause of knowing and interpreting the scriptures. They are well-respected. They have a powerful influence in the community as to how people are to think and how people are to live their lives. You could say it's one of the most strong peer groups of Jesus' day. Most Pharisees are devout and humble servants of God and really do help build up strong and healthy communities. However, as often happens in human communities, including religious ones, power and control issues get in the way with some of them. Unfortunately, you know what they say about bad apples. The whole bushel gets a bad reputation. The author of John's gospel talks about the Jews and talks about the Pharisees the way a lot of people today talk about the church. They see the shameful behavior of some ministers and congregations and say they want nothing to do with the whole lot of them. I think Nicodemus is part of a company of Pharisees who have been poisoned by power and control. And they see Jesus as a threat to their authority as interpreters of Scripture. I don't say this because of anything specifically said about these Pharisees that Nicodemus hangs with. I say this because for some reason, Nicodemus thinks that he has to sneak away at night to talk to Jesus. Is he afraid to be entertaining the idea that Jesus might actually have something to say about scripture and salvation worth hearing, that he knows everybody that he hangs with will disagree with? If so, that's the loneliness of Nicodemus. He's like Billy Elliot of the movie of The Same Name, a child of a working-class family sneaking away to learn how to dance ballet. Nicodemus' loneliness is that he's drawn to what he believes that his tribe might reject. Now, in John's Gospel, we see the growth of Nicodemus as he moves from sneaking away at night to speaking up for Jesus in the light of day. There are other examples in the Gospels where the story begins with their isolation, not with their crowd. I'll run through a quick, few quickly. There's the man possessed by demons living among tombs in a cemetery. Some would say that he's not alone because there are so many demons to keep him company. But he's isolated by those demons. There's the ten lepers. Some would say that they are not alone because they have each other. But lepers are isolated as those who are treated as the living dead. The Seraphinician woman whose daughter is deathly ill, some would say that she is not alone because there are people all around her when she begs. But she has been canceled by her culture because of her race and she is the one having to beg. And that isolates her. The woman known for her moral failure who washes Jesus' feet. Some would say she is not alone because they use expressions like, you know how they are. You can't help people like that. You know their kind. But she is isolated because now she is known mostly for her sins. All of them are isolated because they have something about them or within them that sets them apart and condemns them. There are others like them but each is lonely in their rejection. But all these are positive stories. Out of their loneliness, they seek a connection with Jesus. There's something about them that compels them to seek to be seen and heard and understood. And their physical or spiritual healing begins with Jesus' willingness to be present to them, to face with them their demons to touch the untouchable, to see the person rather than the problems and find as acceptable company someone declared by all to be unacceptable. Jesus can meet with them in their loneliness for this reason. He actively seeks out that loneliness himself. Not all the time. I mean, Jesus has a life. He goes to dinner parties. He has deep conversations. He shows compassion to the suffering. He sees those people who are brought to them. He attends synagogues. He he makes pilgrimages to the temple. He's not alone so often, but there are times when he embraces loneliness by seeing and doing things that isolate him even when he's not alone as when he upsets the crowd that adores him by saying what they do not want to hear, or when he upsets religious leaders when he doesn't agree with what they say God demands, or when he upsets his followers by telling the truth about his coming arrest. Jesus has this courage and clarity to isolate himself because he embraces faithful loneliness. His core identity doesn't come from those who follow him who try to lead him, who adore him and want him to be their king, or those who confront him and demand that he conform. His courage and his clarity comes from faithful loneliness. Our passage from Mark is telling us that. Yes, here at my sermon's end, I finally have gotten to our passage, which comes from the beginning of Jesus' ministry. But even though our passage comes from the very first chapter of Mark, Jesus is well into the experience of being the center of a Taylor Swift type phenomenon. Jesus is early in his career, but he is already insanely famous. The powerful influencer John the Baptist has proclaimed Jesus to be a greater witness to God than himself. And people are coming in droves to see what he is talking about. And Jesus doesn't disappoint. His teachings are fresh and astonishing. His healing of the sick, including Simon's mother-in-law in their home, are amazing. Momentum is starting to build toward the mob wanting to make of him a political messiah. It's already begun. And at the center of it all, followed by many, crowded constantly, Jesus certainly is not alone. But as tempting as it is to be who the crowd wants you to be, Jesus protects his loneliness. When the crowd presses in too much, he chooses to go to a lonely place to pray. He does it here at the beginning of Mark's gospel. He does it over and over again in Mark's gospel. His isolating himself in prayer makes a point to others and is a reminder for himself. He has been promoted by John, but he does not belong to John. He is followed by disciples, but he does not belong to the disciples. He doesn't belong to those he healed or to those amazed by him. He doesn't belong to those who later will want to make him king. He doesn't belong to those who will later want to bring him into line. He doesn't belong to those who later think that they can own him by imprisoning him. He belongs to God. His sacred loneliness comes from being grounded in who he is before God. It is choosing to be alone with God, to remember how he is to be when he is not alone with others. Now, I know it sounds nice to say that we should all ground ourselves in prayer. That's what a minister should say from the pulpit, but I bet you don't hear this often from the pulpit. Some prayer is unhealthy. Jesus' prayer is a unique kind of prayer that calls into question how we sometimes pray unhealthily. When our prayer is managed by how others tell us who we are and how things should be, those prayers when we go to God and we inform God who we are and how things are to be, when we inform God who should be God's enemies, And who deserves political, spiritual, material blessings? Jesus' prayer is not that way. His prayers are about being isolated from others so as to be present to God. And they are listening prayers before they are asking prayers. And it's in prayer that Jesus grounds himself in the love and grace that flows from God. It is where he humbly surrenders to what it means to be God's child, to live by a moral code that calls him on the one hand to be a servant of others, but on the other hand saves him from being subservient to their demands. And when Jesus emerges from prayer, he has the clarity and strength to remain true to what God wants of him when he is no longer alone, when he is back before the crowds, leading disciples and facing those who oppose him and who eventually want to destroy him. We're all lonely sometimes. Not everyone is going to understand fully who you are or what your situation in life is. No one can reach those inner parts of you that you would like someone else to reach, where really only God can reach. I encourage you to embrace a sacred loneliness and being alone with God, become comfortable with being alone with yourself, who you are called to be. Find strength to not only resist unhealthy Christians telling you what it means to be Christian, but also find strength not to let those who reject your Christianity because of unhealthy Christians, don't let them define for you what it means to be Christian. Find your identity before God. That is where your clarity and strength will come and then being among others as one who follows Jesus, the one who calls for justice, shows mercy, and works for reconciliation in the world. That will enable you to be strong and true among those who do not follow Jesus and among those who do. Second Presbyterian Finding Direction by Following Jesus